All right, welcome back to the B-Side Podcast. Brant Chester and Brian Keithley here with you today. We're not going to look at a full album. We're actually going to look at the best openers for albums. Brian, how you doing? Good, man. How are you doing? Pretty well. Yeah, Excited pretty well. to talk about some awesome opening tracks. Hi, I'm excited. Uh, Brian challenged me said three years ago now to the best opening tracks, try to pick the best opening tracks, but one per band. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a buddy that I worked with Vandola. Uh, we used to make playlists back and forth to, and kind of to expose each other to different music. I mean, we have a lot in common too, but yeah, the challenge was 30, 30 best openers and you can't overlap bands. It's only one song per band. So just thought that would be a cool idea to talk about on a podcast um, and kind of interesting to see what's changed even since three years ago, the openers that I had picked in and what changes I've made now. So, Yeah, which ones you gravitate towards and which ones you're like, I loved it at the time, but it's, it's all right. Yeah, yeah. All right, so now we're talking about openers for you. What makes a great opener? Do they have, does it have certain qualities or is there a difference between good and great? Well, I would say a really a good opener sets the tone for the album, right? It sets a certain kind of expectation. Um, sometimes it could, it could read like a mission statement, you know, what they're trying to accomplish on that album. Um, and then a really great opener is one that accomplishes that and it's a great song on its own. Right, so it sets it sets a certain expectation for that album, and then I guess it's kind of the rest of the album's uh, duty to live up to that, you know. Yeah, great points. What, uh, what do you think? Do you have anything? Any other ideas about what makes a good opening track? I agree with you. If something that sets a tone for the album, and then I also think, like we were talking earlier, back to if it's their second or third or fourth album. What, what was their style and or tone of the last album? Is it similar and or different? And then what do, what do I think about that? Or is a band evolving and changing or is it just their sound and I love them for what their, their sound happens to be? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point too. And I, I noticed as we were making these, a lot of the ones that I picked, it was, it was one of the first songs or the first album by the band that I knew. So my, my personal context for it was very new. So it was, it seemed like a new listen to me. And then to look at it in the scope of their career was, was kind of another layer to think about it on. Well, I was going to ask if you personally were more drawn to a certain kind of opener, do you like a sort of smooth, uh one that kind of slowly draws you in or do you like one that that hits you right off with kind of a punch i thought i was a mix before looking at the list the last couple days and then is the way you explained it, i'll let you explain it to listeners but i, I like the more the, the pack with punch i didn't think i thought it'd be an even split but when i looked down at the songs i chose i like the ones that packed more punch probably 70 30 what yeah. about you? Yeah, I think I gravitated towards the same, the same kind of thing. And in, in my subjective, you know, and I approached it just as my favorite openers 
um, not so much like critically what the best ones are necessarily. And I kind of thought about opening tracks on albums. Um, I started to think about, if you think about a full album, it makes an artistic statement. Sometimes it even tells a sort of a story or has themes. And I started to compare that with, with you know, a film. So an opening track is, is like an opening scene to a, fi a film. So is it, is, is it gonna slowly set, um, like exposition of a story, slowly introduce you to characters and conflict, or are you thrown right into like a battle scene? you know, right in the middle of the action. So I, I kind of, I was thinking about it that uh, as I, as I finished putting the, uh, the list together. That's um, a great point that we can come back to. Okay. No, no go ahead if you want. That's what I'm saying, but throughout, that's a, that's a great point. I should come back to, does it set the scene or does it like hit us right in the face and jump right into action? Yeah. And for, for whatever reason, um, and honestly, it, it gives me a chance to talk about a, a few openers that wouldn't have made my list anyway. So uh, one that seemed to kind of, um, to slowly take you in, uh, it would have it made me think of kind of a quirky indie film, right? I am trying to break your heart, uh, Wilco, right? It, it's, it's slow, um, it builds in, you really are not sure what it's gonna be in the beginning. Another one, uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And I, there were some albums that I like a lot that I realized they have these sort of weird intro tracks or instrumentals, which I like a lot. Um, I don't know that they are full songs. I mean, they, they serve the album, um, but in themselves don't necessarily stand out. Like Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, the opening is a kind of a piano with some strings, just a little instrumental. Um, and for whatever reason, I, I thought of the opening to Lost in Translation, which I, I oh. forgot the very opening shot is, is just Scarlett Johansson's butt. But then yeah. you get, you know, uh, Bill Murray's character falling asleep in the, in the cab or trying to stay awake as you just kind of see the, the yeah. light of Tokyo. And, um, and it's a slow establishing thing, right? As opposed to like, Star Wars, the very first scene in A New Hope is just a, a, a blaster battle, right? Stormtroopers mm -hmm. immediately are boarding the rebel ship and they're just shooting each other, you know? And that made me think a little more of like a Pearl Jam track, uh, like Go or... Once. Once, yeah, yeah. Where just the tension, the, the impact is there immediately, right? And then once I get used to that pattern too, as a listener, I almost expect that every, every time for the band. I probably shouldn't. But, hey, if you're going to start out the first two albums with a rocker and, and straightforward, and, okay, you mean, you mean business. Yeah. Then, then I'm in, right? And, then, and you switch it up. We talked about an episode one, so I won't go into it. Sometimes and it kind of throws me off. Mm -hmm. Just wasn't expecting it, not in a bad way. But, oh, this is different. All right. Uh, so as we mentioned, that is a good way to set the scene and to or and or to jump right into the middle of action. What are some of your top openers? There's no way we can cover the list. It's way too extensive and, and and you have a lot more on the list than I do. So what are some of your top openers? Well, the, this first opener and one other thing 
that I noticed as I was putting openers, they're not necessarily the best song on the album. In fact, usually if the very best song is the first song, the rest of the album is not as memorable, right? So it, it really, it's an interesting balance. It's gotta be a good enough song to set those expectations, but not to be the spotlight by itself. Um, so my first pick, which is the only one that I didn't hesitate or second guess for any second. And for those people who know me, it might seem kind of cliche, but I went with Cherub Rock, Smashing Pumpkin, Siamese Dream. You know, in terms of the, the context, it, it was fairly influential just in my, like getting into sort of alternative uh, grunge music in the mid nineties. Uh, I mean, I listened to like, you know, top 40 sort of pop music up to that point, you know, like Ace of Bass and, you know, Mariah Carey and stuff just was on the radio, maybe a little Hootie and the Blowfish, you know, yeah. uh, but then Disarm was on and it had some other sort of soft, what would be considered alternative songs, you know, like the acoustic version of, of uh, Plush by Stumptable Pilots, Love that uh, song. Under the Bridge, mm -hmm. uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. So anyway, I was going through and I heard one of those softer songs. And then I, I, I was going through the radio dial, right? Turning the dial like you used to back in the old days and landed on uh, Z104.5, The Edge, Tulsa's Rock Alternative and heard Cherub Rock. And I was like, this is something totally different. You know, this is really it just seemed really powerful and, and important and it had a lot in it. So it starts with, it's got a little drum roll to start. You get the, the kind of guitar riff. And then when that, the full drums and the heavy distortion come in, it's just so, um, it's warm and fuzzy and distorted and just really, there's so much energy and kind of power in that. I think it's a, it's a great song in itself. It sets up, and for Smashing Pumpkins, who to, to think in their, like in the context of their career, they had a, their first album, Gish, was kind of an uh, like underground gem. Um, it was maybe considered a little more indie, but it didn't get the recognition of like, nevermind. It was, it came out in 91. It, it didn't live up to the Nirvana and Pearl Jam success, right? So Billy Corgan felt like he had to make a statement with Siamese Dream. And I think that that opening song really does that it's got a pretty pretty straightforward like verse chorus verse chorus guitar solo i mean he he shows off on that opening track that he can shred uh and then the song kind of crescendos into this noisy you know guitar and and comes to a comes to a head there at the end and then lyrically not to not to get into a ton of lyrics, but it it shows his songwriting to a couple of lines that I was like, "Beware of all those angels with their wings glued on." That's a great image, right? You know, posers, and also just coincidentally, it's the first time I ever heard anyone mention a hipster. <laughs> you know, he says hipsters unite. I didn't know what a hipster was back in '94 when I heard the song or night. So anyway, yeah. So that's my first track, and it's it's one of my favorite songs and it's actually maybe grown on me more over the over the years putting that on in vinyl and learn i learned to play it on guitar so i end up playing that a lot because it makes me 
it's probably the song I can play that makes me feel like a rock star the most. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's my first pick. That's great. Yes, sir. What do you think uh, about that? I love it. I love to share rock. So what's your, what's your first one? Oh, sorry. I'm going way back. I didn't know. I wanted to choose the who, but something about my generation always reminded my parents' car rather than me or something or around riding around the back seat. But uh, if we're going to pick like a classic rock, rock song, give me Bob or Riley uh, off the who, who's next. Uh, first song off the album, you get the synthesizer and we're talking about today, the piano, the drums, guitar. And once, once it all builds and, and you've got these layers, like you mentioned, you've got this arena anthem the three chord structure that hits in. And whenever I bought my first electric guitar, same thing. I just wanted to either play rock in the free world or like Bob or Riley, these three chords, like, burm, 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 doom, doom, doom. And yeah. you think you're a rock star, crank your amp up to 11. You're really not. You can't sing like Roger Daltrey. So when a screaming <laughs> voice kicks in, right? Out here in the field, right? Uh, I love that. And you get Pete Townsend in between, right? Singing Teenage Wasteland. So these echoes that not only remind me of, of the album itself, but probably too much of the live experience in these arenas filled with people. And also this, uh, maybe just trying to find yourself in re rebellion, but to um, the, this, this teenage wasteland, think the next generation is just worthless, whatever else and you're, you're fighting for your own space in this, in this world. So for some reason, I often think of Bob O'Reilly. I didn't put Seven Nation Army on the list, but White Stripes, but it just reminds me of that similar sports arena anthem, maybe, but strong bass line, of course, and, and with Jack White and, and, and the structure. But that's what yeah. I think of, like, sports arena, and they're both album openers and just classic live songs that still resonate a long time later, even though it wasn't alive when Who's Next comes on, but um, my cousin, cousin Ray and I used to talk about The Who all the time and Pete Townsend and uh, what was our favorite songs. And a lot of times we come back to Bob O'Reilly. It's hard, hard to beat. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that sort of stadium, you know, the, memory, the idea of the, the big stadium anthem. Have you seen The Who? I have. Yeah, when, uh, when was that? A couple of times. I saw him in Atlanta when I was in grad school. Is it 01 or 02? And then I saw him in Nashville in 2012 again. So Oh, wow. Yeah. So a couple That's of times. Awesome. So a couple of times. They put a, a good live show, even though Keith Moon wasn't around anymore. Been, it would have been great to see his crazy drumming antics. But Yeah. That's interesting because that song, if I'm not mistaken, that was what Pearl Jam was ending their set with when we were leaving Indy, Indy yeah. to beat the weather and the crowd. Yeah. Uh, so I, I always think of that and I know, you know, Eddie Vedder is a huge Who fan and they've covered a bunch of their songs, but that makes me think of those, that memory. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Pearl Jam loves to cover that and Rockin' the Three Girls. So that influence on me too, probably those come back to you when I was first, like you like to play the Smashing Pumpkins and guitar. Like I just wanted to play those, pick up a guitar to try to play the Who or Neil Young or Pearl Jam or whatever. All right. What's your, what's your next one? Um, so I'm keeping it in the sort of mid nineties and again, sort of stereotypically critical darlings, I guess, but I'm going, uh, with airbag from okay computer by Radiohead. 
Um, and Radiohead was one that I, I did kind of go back and forth on. I, they have several really great opening songs. Uh, 15 Step on in Rainbows is right up there for me. But this one, it, it's, a, it's another kind of reminder to me of how important it is to give, whether it's music or art or something that maybe you don't find immediately accessible to kind of give it a shot. Even having listened to Smashing Pumpkins for a couple of years by the time, or, you know, other alternative music, and even listening to earlier Radiohead, you know, of course, High and Dry is kind of a radio hit, Creep and Fake Plastic Trees, but this was so much different and so weird at the time. And I, I wouldn't have, I mean, I remember seeing the uh, music video for Paranoid Android on MTV and you know, back in those days, back in those days, how old am I, right? Uh, you know, but back then, you didn't know what a whole album sounded like. You'd hear a single on the radio or maybe a couple of videos on MTV, and you'd have to decide it was good and that was good enough to, to spend the 15 bucks on a whole CD, you know? So when I did, it really, it felt important just from stuff that, you know, friends and other kids at school reviews in Rolling Stone or whatever magazines it felt like an important thing and then and it paid off right I mean that the opening of Airbag with the the little guitar riff and the sleigh bells and the kind of ambient uh I don't know if it's strings or some weird sort of synth and stuff a really good opener does this but it just it it creates the association with that whole album with the whole listening experience um with all those kind of themes and tones that even even stuff that ebbs and flows on the whole album it it kind of reminds you like an opening scene in a movie especially a movie that you've seen over and over again like i know i'm in for something really awesome and then the ba the drums and the bass line come in and the opening lyri lyrics you know, in the next world war, a jackknife juggernaut, I am born again. It's this weird dystopian Christ-like figure. You know, it's a, it's a weird thing. And that, those kind of themes, the dystopian and the anxiety of technology and humanity and all that kind of stuff runs through the whole album. Definitely um, like the savage and brave new world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. A lot of those. I mean, I just reread 1984 earlier this summer and there's, there's definitely echoes and in, in that kind of stuff. Um, and actually just re-listening to it recently, uh, I got some new Bose headphones with really good sound and it picked up stuff in the background that I hadn't even noticed before, like some, some really interesting haunting background vocals towards the end. Again, kind of a crescendo. Um, towards the end of that track before it transitions into Paranoid Android. But a lot of these, uh, yeah, almost like this weird celestial, like a tortured angel kind of vocals in the background that I'd never noticed before. And again, really great music, you know, like a great book or great, any kind of great art. There's, there's always more to, uh, to notice and reflect on as you go. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's my second pick. Some, some Radiohead. Love it. Haters be damned. <laughs> <laughs> What's your next one, Chester? 
I don't have as much to say, but it just reminds me of a certain time, though, when I first picked up Nirvana's Nevermind, like you, you mentioned. And, and I actually heard that album, I think, before I had Pearl Jam's 10, even though I think Pearl Jam's 10 came out a month before. But it just defined, oh, it's so different in the sound. You hear that first, like, dun, 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 and, and the contrast between the verses and the chorus. Like it hits you in the face to begin, and then it, you subdue yourself a little bit back in the verse. Hit, it hits you back in the mouth and the chorus. So when you when he screams back in your face, um, I just remember like you're saying the MTV video and the and the gym and the ironic twist on this. Um, he's uh, out there performing for people, and I don't know. I just I just like the sound. It's so different than anything I'd ever heard at the time. I was. In 91, I was listening to maybe some R.E.M. and um, Chili Peppers, like you were saying. But that's that's about it. And like, whoa, what is what is this? It's, it was a little harder than I was used to listening because I wasn't to the hair metal. Shout out to Balzer. But yeah, it's it's. I wanted just to sing and rock out. And so I wanted to listen to the rest of the album. The rest of the album is great, even though like you talk about it ebbs and flows, but definitely smells like teen spirit off. Nevermind would be one, one on my list. Yeah, that's, uh, it's a great song. It, it's one of those songs that almost, you know, it's everywhere. It's so ubiquitous even today in on the radio and, you know, you're at a mall somewhere or whatever. I don't know places that still have malls, but you hear it so much, but it's still, if you, if you really listen to the whole song, uh, it really, it's, it still holds up. You know, it kind of defies how overplayed it, it became. When, I, when that came out, I was only in, what, fourth or fifth grade. I had a buddy whose older brother worked at a radio station. And I think he got an advanced copy of it before it was officially released. Cool. And I remember listening to it with him and just not understanding it at all. Just going, what is this? having grown up mostly on like oldies and, and stuff in the sixties from my parents, it was so different. I mean, it was so far beyond what I understood how to, how to take that in. I remember like listening to it on his, on his tape player and like trying to headbang because that's what the kids were supposed to be doing with this grunge music, you know? Yeah. And I was, I was like, why? <laughs> I was only what saw, I guess a little older, but sophomore in high school and still I had the same experience Like, what is this? Never heard this again, play it again. And yeah. of course they pop culture wise, they blew up within what a month. I mean, it was nationwide. Yeah. If I was well, hearing about all the way in Tennessee. Yeah. And it holds up, man. I mean, it's been a few years ago, but I went through a kind of a Nirvana phase where I, I went back, not just that, but listened to bleach a lot. And, uh, Got a little more into in utero, um, and that you know it holds up. So, yeah, all of it does. All right, what about your next pick? All right, um, this one. It was for me. I'm slowly getting more recent, um, but this one is well i'll just tell you what song it is right it's fake empire by the national from their album boxer and kind of 
to set the context of how I listen to it and why I like it so much, uh, again, it's another one coincidentally that it reminds me not to hold on to your first impressions of things. I, I had a buddy that he, my buddy Craig, after college, burned me like a whole spool of burnt CDs of just all of his favorite albums. And one of them was Boxer. And I remember listening to it a couple times and just being like, I don't really get it. There was nothing that really hooked me. So I left it. I had a student when I was teaching at Indy that burned me a, another album of theirs called Alligator. And I liked that one a lot. And it had a few like rock songs that I could see as hits. And Alligator is actually the album before Boxer. And so I went back and listened to Boxer again. And I was like, I still, this is just, this is the most overrated album I've ever heard. I remember saying that to someone. And then when I moved back, I remember working on uh, grad school applications and it just came on my iTunes, you know, shuffle or whatever. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll listen to it again. And it was kind of like, how, where, how did I not appreciate this in the first place? But it, it was kind of a thing where it just planted a little seed early on and it took some time for, for that to grow. And it's the whole album is fairly subtle. Like, I think that's, I think that's why I didn't appreciate it right off the bat is because of the subtlety. Um, so fake empire, it, it, uh, the reason it's a great opener, it starts with a really sort of gentle piano. It's kind of an off, um, off tempo piano. Um, Matt Berninger's voice, he's got this deep baritone, um, which makes it hard for me to sing along with sometimes. I get frustrated about that. I end up singing their songs in an octave higher, but, and it kind of lulls you in. It has a, a strangely sort of comforting vibe in the beginning, but it's still not on the beat. So there's something off-putting. It's, it's got this weird, that kind of weird tension in it. And as the song goes on, it, it slowly builds. And by the end of it, there's the outro kicks in with some electric guitars and these horns. There's like four different horn parts, uh, whether it's trump I know there's some trumpets in there. I don't know what else, but, and they're all kind of layered on top of each other in different rhythms and with the guitars and everything, it becomes real. It goes from this sort of soothing, almost a play on a lullaby into this really chaotic sounding, like very energetic thing. And by the end of it, you feel kind of, I don't know if exhausted is the right word, but you feel like you kind of have been through something, you know? Um, and I think it's a great example of his, of their kind of songwriting. Uh, it definitely sets the tone and thematically uh, some lyrics that seem, um, they kind of paint like a rosy Amer all American, like picking apples, making pies, put a little something in your lemonade. And then by the end of it, it's hard to keep track of you falling through the sky. We're half awake in a fake empire. So it's, it's like, you know, the sort of this weird sinister vibe that's going on underneath the, uh, the sort of wholesome exterior. Um, but anyway, I, the national is, if I had to pick a favorite band now as the person I am in this moment, the national is my favorite band. And I think that's, that's their best album. It's their, their best opening track. And it's, it's uh, one of my favorites. Cool. 
So what's your next pick, Chesser? I'm going more recent. Well, we're slowly getting more recent in mind, yeah. too. Um, getting away from the angsty, like teenage grunge, trying to pick something else. So I don't know if I ever get away from that in my picks or just in my sort of – In your listening? Time. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So somewhere, somewhere like, I don't know, hit low, young 30s, I guess, long, young to mid-30s, Real Estate's Beachcomber from their 2009 uh, self-titled title album. The first thing it caught me, it starts with this guitar, and it's got this, like, surf rock lead with a surfy vibe. I'm like, oh, this is cool. These guys, they sound like they're from California, just out on a beach. Not quite Beach Boys harmony, but just that surf rock vibe. And I was like, oh, I like this. Like, I was, at a certain point, too, I was like, oh, this is probably isn't cool. I didn't realize who they were at the time, indie, indie or not, and, like, didn't hear it on the radio i think i found it like pace magazine or somewhere along the way just stumbled upon it turns out they weren't from california but from jersey but what caught me about the track is too it it, i guess you'd say it starts in the action but it's not like the action like the crunch rock songs we're used to like you talked about before and the mention with bob o'reilly or smells like teen spirit it's not like that at all it is catchy in the middle action but it eases you into that and then uh the beach lyrics and him talking about being on vacation and you never want to return to the office or home. It's just going to reward you with a gold watch at the end of the day. And what does it even mean? Um, so the, the band jams out the song for the last minute, if you get a chance to hear it. And the song really sets a tone for the, for the rest of the album. You see, the, see these other songs about water, whether it's pool swimmers or let's rock the beach or um, the catchiness that Beachcomber has, you see that catchiness in like the six note guitar lick and fake blues, which they play a lot live too. So off their first album, they're probably either going to play Beachcomber or fake blues if they're going to play anything. But Atlantic City, uh, don't, I know it's about openers, but Atlantic City is the fifth track. It's one of my favorites, a two minute instrumental, well-placed. And, and once again, just melodic and peaceful. Um, so I realized I got into a different phase of music and that's what it reminds me of. So when I hear Beachcomber, I think about trying to learn new licks and getting them into more like surf rock. So while Beachcomber may open, open their first album in 2009, it's closed many shows that I've seen them live. So great, great song. And the guitar is great. Lyrics, lyrics have some meaning, but uh, not necessarily just escape, but I'm um, just in, enjoying, enjoying the moment and maybe not being a prisoner to this office that we create for ourselves. That's interesting, Chester, because you mentioned uh, that they play it as a closer. You hear it at the end of a set, and I was thinking about some of these songs in that in that way too. Like we, we talked about "Myth" with Beach House before, but that's one that they usually play at the very end of their sets. That's yeah. interesting. That contrast between what opens an album but what might close a live show, and how it, a song could fit both of those. Do you think that bands use their first singles? Now I'm looking at their first singles on the albums. Is is it a marketing strategy? Is it choosing their best song? Even though not always, but what aspect do you think that plays into choosing the opener? Yeah, I don't know if it's different now than it was back in the day. I I don't I don't know. I would think it it wouldn't have changed a whole lot because singles, you know, back then radio play you would know a single today. Most, most people that put stuff out on Spotify will put out a single 
or two or three a couple of weeks before an album comes out or a month before they'll slowly yeah. put out two or three songs whether they would be the singles that would have been radio singles in the back in the day or not but they i don't know if they tend necessarily to be opening tracks because i was I, just trying to look through the playlist when we created them now going back to this week like how many were their first singles because i was starting to notice the rem did that with their first four albums like their first single would be the opening track yeah like did did he choose the opening did he choose a track listing and then choose a single or is it vice versa i don't know right or is it yeah I, I would think that that would probably just depend on the band and the promotion you know team or whatever from their record label yeah just an idea when you talk about album composition yeah all right what's your next track and yeah, these picks are all coming from sort of these last few picks are coming from sort of a similar time in my life, I guess. Um, and it's funny to see that all of these albums were released within a couple of years of each other, but I discovered them at, you know, different times. At the end of college, I was listening to a lot of like sort of emo, pop, punk like, I don't know even how to categorize it, but bands like Saves the Day, which has a great opening track called At Your Fun Funeral. Uh, the Get Up Kids have a great opening track called Holiday. Uh, Taking Back Sunday has a great opening track. Uh, Set Your Phasers to Stun. Anyway, I was really into that kind of stuff. And it was like, you heard it and immediately you had a chord progression or you had this energy and you, it was like, you know, I could listen to it to go for a run or work out or just like kind of be pumped up or whatever, even though a lot of the lyrics were sort of melodramatic in some ways. Um, and I love that music. And when I heard about Death Cab for Cutie, whether it was through friends or just hearing people say their name, seeing their name on magazines or, you know, whatever, I assumed that they were going to sound like that too. And they don't. <laughs> right. So the first time and that my pick for this opening track, the new year from transatlanticism again, Love it. again, I feel like I'm almost, if, if someone who said, what are the stereotypical, the most stereotypical Keith Lee songs you could pick? That's what I actually picked. Right. But anyway, the first time I heard the new year, I was in the computer lab at OU you know, putting off writing a paper and I was on Yahoo Music and, you know, you would like certain things and then it would play, you know, similar artists or just new stuff or whatever. And the new year came on and it was a video for it too. So I remember watching the video and it's just, you know, the opening is just these two chords. Dun, 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 you know, uh, kind of over and over again. And it's this really slow kind of methodic progression through the song. Um, it picks up a little bit in the, if it's a bridge or whatever that part is that talks about, you know, I wish the world was flat like the old days. Um, anyway, it was just so different from stuff that I'd listened to. Um, I had a buddy burn me the album. I remember falling asleep in our apartment listening to this and maybe some of the, pop culture-y, you know, references, like they were referenced on the OC and, you know, stuff like that. It kind of got in my head, but yeah, I don't know. It really stayed with me and it sets the tone for that album a lot. The, that, there's an opening that's kind of this ambient 
uh, it almost sounds like sort of like a stormy synth kind of a thing that opens the album before those first chords. And at the end of the album, a lack of color ends with that, with that, right? So it kind of fades back in. It has this, the whole album has kind of a um, cyclical feel. So yeah, that's, I couldn't not pick a Death Cab song and that's it. So there you go, Chester. You must, yeah. Uh, <laughs> must. It's a great, it's a great song. Yeah. So what's your next pick? Going a little more recent, so five years ago now. It's hard to believe it's already been that long. But uh, Tame Impala. So I heard their Lonerism album while I lived in Japan, and it reminds me of we some friends and I went up on this mountain trip in Japan, and it's probably 2013. So six months after Lonerism or something early 2013 and uh, just being enthralled by their psychedelic and Beatles, Beatles sounding for lack of better, right? We put these people into boxes and what they sound like. Um, but the psychedelic rock and like almost Beatles, late Beatles-esque took me back. But I won't, I'm not going to pick that album because what surprised me is when in 2015, when I heard on Sirius XMU, their first single, Let It Happen, which happens to be the opening track right, for, for the album of Currents, I was like, whoa, what's this electronic dance beat mixed with guitar? This is, this is quite different than what I heard three, three years ago. I liked, I liked both, and, and it has so many ebbs and flows just within the one song. I mean, it almost tags in eight minutes for an opening song that's pretty brave and courageous. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Don't want to lose your listeners, I think, but uh, Kevin Parker, he gets listeners on their feet and, and moving, and I'll have the breakdown of reverb, and yeah. in it, and then it offers a contrast because the beat sounds so vivid and alive, and it's it's catchy in a pop sense, I guess, commercial sense. You you could see it as this, I don't know, even '80s song, like '80s synth pop in, in a way, but it's just modernized. Um, so you, you see that too in some of the uh, other catchy tracks on, on on currents and then he has also not catchy so you see some similarities but the breakdown around the four minute area is almost trans like that yeah it, for a minute get, you get lost into trance like okay when is it going to break this you're waiting for the break to cycle and, and you're going in that repetition with Ke with kevin parker and then it, once it breaks a minute later you're like oh yes it, uh, you can't help but not along and then yeah. when, he, when he says, like, I was ready all along, I was ready for the moment and the sound, like, like yes, you were. So I don't know if he was talking about himself, but that, that, that leap of faith that he took, and I guess you can hear it even on the, this year's Tame Apollo album, has still got the electronic feel in a couple of tracks, but 2015, Let It Happen. And when we saw him live in Atlanta and Cincinnati that year, they, they killed that song. Uh, so it was, it was great live too. When it, when I think of changing shifts and hit, hitching the mouth, like this is, this is so different. Still got that reverb sounding, but it's not, not as, not a straightforward psychedelic and Beatles sounding. He's take it, taking his own spin on it. So I thought it was cool. Yeah. That's a, that's a great song and a great pick. I, yeah, I love that song. And Tame Impala was supposed to play in Tulsa uh this summer june um and i had a student in my creative writing class who had won like a backstage pass or something from like Sweet. a radio thing on twitter and she was she was so disappointed when 
you know, oh, everything man. got shut down. It got canceled. I don't know if they'll end up, you know. I was about to say, if they rescheduled, do you still get the backstage pass? Yeah, hope, hopefully for Brooke, she does. So. Yeah, hopefully so. All right. Yeah, we, uh, that's that's a band we've played a lot in my creative writing class the last couple of years. Tim and Paul. Cool. Yeah. yeah. My my students like when they play it. When I, whenever I play in before or after class, like, oh, you like Tame Impala too? I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah. Are uh, you have any more picks? Uh, I've got one more in this section, and actually, again, I didn't plan it this way, but to go back to listening to that kind of emo punk kind of sound that I was listening to in college. So my last pick is uh, a song by Brand New called Sewing Season from their album, The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me. And um, I bought it just kind of on a whim. I had their album before that uh, called Deja Intendu. And, and it's a great just kind of emo pop album. I, again, I was expecting more of that. You know, you talked earlier about with, with Pearl Jam, you expect something not just from an opening track, obviously, but from a band overall. This, this was a noticeable departure. It was really dark, um, really heavy. The title of the album is maybe almost too on the nose. I mean, the whole thing has to do with these sort of internal struggles with, um, you know, with guilt and religion and, you know, uh, sort of our purpose and expectations and wrestling with kind of the uh i mean some of it is kind of a disillusionment i guess but anyway the the opening little chords power chords and then uh the opening lines was losing all my friends to drinking and to driving losing all my friends but i got them back and he quotes uh roger kipling in this song he mentions uh one of his poems so yeah, it's a it's an album that means a lot to me. It's a it's an awesome song and and uh, and I I realized all these that are guitar songs I've learned to play on guitar. So I don't. I, it's funny. There's so many great songs that uh, I haven't gotten as 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 attached to because I'm not a good enough guitar player to to figure them out. So anyway, and this is a song that I played with Peter. Uh, that last night I think that we played at the, the Mercantile. What was that place? Yeah, the Mercantile. That was a fun yeah. night, poetry yeah, night, was, music night. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, so we did a little cover of this one. I didn't do this, the screaming. I left the scream. I left the scream out of screamo. I just did the emo part. Anyway, what's your? Uh, you cool. got one more pick for this? Yeah. Uh, so, so, I mean, personally, uh, if you look at our list and you can find them on Spotify, we'll I'll post put the links for listeners who want to check out what we think are the best openers list on Spotify. I mean, I would pick a Mind Morning Jacket, Pearl Jam, or R.E.M. just as personally. But now we're going to talk about those in the breakdown in a little bit. So I went with, uh, I was like, well, I got to put some kind of Stone song on there. So when you challenged me three years ago, I went with, so hard to pick one Stone song, but I went Give Me Shelter. I don't, speaking of singles, I don't think that was a single. It wasn't alive at the time. I don't think that was a single. And it, I like the, the way it builds. You get this bluesy lick. And it turns into a jam, but get these background vocals, right? And uh, it's it's building, and and you've seen it. I've seen it in films used. Um, so I think that's why the song influences me. So less about the album, let it bleed. 
Um, but with a, the jammy guitar and the lyrics addressed, it's worn burning and all this 60s coming to an end. I've seen where some people are saying, oh, the 60s are dying or this, this war and this need for shelter, Sean closes 60s. So I love it. It's just stones and I can put it on and just, for lack of a better word, just nod along and jam. Like Keith Richard jams a song. So not a huge Stones fan when you look at, like we were talking about earlier with Led Zeppelin or something like, okay, if I had to pick one Stones opener, and this is probably not the top of the list, but I was looking through some critics' lists. Hey, surprisingly, it was, but I first ran across the song just in films. So how, I remember how it grabbed me when, when, a, when a film director would use it. So it drew me to that. Yeah. That, you know, I'm, I'm also not a huge Stones fan, um, but we, my buddy, when I first moved to Nashville, Chad had some of their records. And we had Sticky Fingers. I think we had Let It Bleed, too, because I remember uh, listening Sticky to Sticky Fingers is my favorite, Yeah, I think. Coincidentally, just the other day on a different podcast, I was listening to old uh, Ricky Gervais show. He used to have a radio show. I mean, it's almost 20 years ago now, 16, 17 years ago. But they played a Stone song called Monkey Man. And it's on, it's on Let It Bleed. And I didn't, I just coincidentally had looked at that the other day. And it was like, it made me think, should I get, like, give the, the old Stones another shot? Give them another couple of listens. I like that run though. I think it was like uh, the Let It, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers and Exile. That's the period of Stones that I'm drawn to. Those, those three albums, yeah. I guess, late sixties, early so That sound they had then. Yeah, me too. Good pick. Yeah, so Chester, one thing that, that I noticed when we were just looking at each other's playlists from whenever, you know, three years ago and updated recently, we had a lot of the same bands, but different opening tracks. So I, I thought it was interesting kind of what we saw in different songs and why we picked different ones. One of them, one of our, our favorite bands together, for sure, My Morning Jacket, um, so you you started with uh, Magita, right? How do you Love first it. off? How do you pronounce it? I don't know. It, when we <laughs> when we first saw it, yeah, Magita, uh, or Dylan and I used to say Magita, Magita. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I went with that one. Um, there's so many to choose from, but I think what we were talking about before bands evolving the sound. The album before it dawned was this really slow opener. It almost opened with a humming sound for one minute before drums or an acoustic guitar even come in. So my guitar was not that. And so I was drawn, drawn to that. And this was maybe in 2003 when, when I heard them. And, and he comes right away at the lyrics, right? Um, sitting here with me and mine all wrapped up in a bottle of wine. Right. And then, and then the drums come in and that, like, so now you ready to go, my lady? I'm like, oh, okay. Yes. Like, and you look at, like, he's talking the guitar first. I'm like, what's he, what's he talking about? But the, the mid tempo, yeah. mid tempo pace that they actually crunch up live, they even yeah. beefed it, beefed it up over the years, but that mid tempo pace that starts out in the harmony. So I guess like Tame Impala's song, it kind of goes back and forth, plays off with each, with each other. It's kind of a, a rock, but it's harmonious at the same time. And after the first chorus, it moves that jam session. And it reminds me of other jam songs that come up on the album, like Steam Engine later, 
So you get this jammy sense, because once again, a six minute opening, opening song, but singing to guitar with a great solo, bridge can connect to listeners and guitar players. And like you, I'll never be good enough because I feel like he's calling me a poser's <laughs> guitar player, right? Can, yeah. can, can he see me? Does he feel me? Does he know me at all? I probably don't, right? I'm too simple, right? I know the, the power chords and I know triads and I know, I know chords and pentatonic scales, but do, do I shiver and always deliver? Probably not, yeah. right? D does he know me at all? Um, I wish, right? I, I, I wish I knew. So, and when he hits the ah, only like Jim James can, I'm not even trying to attempt, right? Um, that when he hits those ah moments, which will get to your songs and the yeah. lyrics, it's euphoria, if you will. So between the harmonious elements and the rock elements, I couldn't wait to hear the rest of it still move. I love that whole album, and I love the whole album that you're going to choose too. So it's it was a hard choice, but I just like he was cut is coming out of the alt country phase and recording in silos and this ultra reverb to more of this rock mid tempo rock, and now which has turned into arena rock song. Almost they've crunched it up and made my guitar in one big holiday rock rock song. So I've seen it open as an opener for show and a closer. So it, it runs a gamut. So what, why go, so you chose Wordless Chorus. Why, is, why go with Wordless Chorus? And I agree with you. It's another rock song, especially live. But why go with Wordless yeah, Chorus? And actually, I was going to say that My Morning Jacket is maybe the only band that I got to know really more from hearing them live than listening to the records. Because, you know, with you and Alan and Balls and everybody that we go to shows with, I associate so much of that with just the, with the, the live performances. And I would recognize like <clears throat> the line that you quoted from my guitar, you know, so are you ready to go? My baby? You know, that and his vocals, the Oz and everything. It takes me back to being at those shows with you guys. And I think more than any song, uh, wordless chorus does that, that, uh, I mean, just, I remember at, at Bonnaroo, on the river, you know, when you almost broke Balzer's shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but singing, like literally singing that wordless chorus all together in unison, both, I mean, both with our group of friends and with the whole crowd and the band, you know, I just, I love that song. And it does open, you know, most of the songs that we would hear live and then I'd go, like in my head, I would, I would know there were four or five that I really liked. And most of them were all on Z. I mean, we, you know. So the electronic phase. Once again, another change. You go from all country kind of rock to like electronic within three albums. Yeah. And I, I think I knew Evil Urges uh, when it came out before I really went back and listened to these other ones. Probably so, because that's what we saw a show in Nashville that year, 2008. Right, and, and a lot of it, you know, they're known for the guitar stuff. I mean, obviously they can shred. I'm blanking on the name of my favorite song on that. Oh, Lay Low. Oh, dude. I mean, Lay Low is an absolute jam. And, and you know, Dandante is a little bit, maybe a little mellower at parts, but it's also a jam. I mean, there's so much awesome stuff on that record. And, and it's another one, just the opening... Yeah, that kind of synthy bassline thing at the opening of Wordless Chorus, boom, 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 and then you get into it. It, it again, all those memories and the the knowing that I'm going to hear 
an incredible album all the way through, you know, that all just kind of comes to me when I hear that opening. Yeah. And John Dante, last summer I was home, they played a 20 minute version at Red, Red Rocks. And I think I got a clip of Lay Low for you because as soon, yeah, as, soon yeah, as I yeah. heard that song, I thought of you. Yeah. And so they, they jammed that out too, but it's a rocky, rockier. Don Dante feels that bluesy feeling. Yeah. All right. So we, we didn't mention REM. I kind of waited. I would have probably put uh, my choice in the top five. So when you think about REM, what, what was your favorite opener? Well, and this, not to rehash the whole story, but this goes back into when I was first sort of discovering, like, honestly, good music, just good rock music. Um, and I heard What's the Frequency, Kenneth? And at first I was like, why does this song have to be so loud and distorted? You know, like I was used to sort of simple, mm -hmm. you know, simple songs with harmonies and whatever. But anyway, um, but it grew on me and my, my brother and I, before we kind of had the money, I guess, to spend on albums consistently, we could go buy singles. And I, I actually think that What's the Frequency, Kenneth, was the first single from that album, right? It was. It was. Yeah. So I remember, I mean, I still have it in a box somewhere. I have the cassette single of What's the Frequency, Kenneth, and it had like some sort of psychedelic, uh, like, what were those bottle cap, like those, they were like wax candy with like, you know, like soda pop in the middle. It had mm -hmm. like pictures of those on it. Anyway. But yeah, I, I love the distortion. You know, again, those opening chords set the tone. I know the whole album's coming and it's another one I learned how to play on guitar. Like you said earlier with Bob O'Reilly, it's, it really is only a few chords, but when I, when I turn my, you know, crappy <laughs> practice amp up real loud and make it as, distorted as possible and I play that you know A G A D or what you know the opening to that it's it's fun I love that song so and yeah. you you picked Radio Free Europe which was that was their it's very first yeah it's first album right? off off Murmur I mean I probably didn't hear it till three or four years later when I actually was in middle school got an REM at the time and went back and listened to it. but that's that early sound though I love all their opening songs. It seems that's what we're talking about. It does seem, I don't know if this is Michael Stipe's choice, the band's choice, the record company's choice. The majority of their opening singles are their first song. Yeah, that's. But I don't know if he sets that up that way. And um, so Radio Free Europe and Sitting Still were off Chronic Town, but then also make Murmur. Um, so I guess I'm cheating a, a little way, but the jangling guitars, the mumble lyrics, the keep dancers moving it was different sound at the time for 1983 and what i still think of is like quintessential michael Stipe, getting up moving around these words you're trying to figure out in the right he's mumbling and you can't figure them out at all but i would sit on my bedroom floor and try to write him out and like what is he even saying like calling out in transit what is he what does he mean by this right radio free europe and and decide yourself if Brady is going to stay. And the, the way it just, the, the Jenga guitars make it danceable, but then also trying to figure out the new look, his lyrics. And then the, the sound was so different from anything else I was listening to, pop, pop music in the, in the 80s. Um, so yeah. they paved, paved a way for college radio. And, the, and that's a, the quintessential sound, I think, of Radio for Europe. 
they kind of change maybe the shape of college radio. I don't want to exaggerate their impact too much, but I definitely think they, they change the shape. And even Kurt Cobain talked about how much they influenced him. You wouldn't think so because their Nirvana sounds so, so different, but yeah. just the way they shaped the eighties and, and uh, indie rock, I guess, or alt rock, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, just in sort of like a, a history of rock music, that song aside from like as an opener or even a first single is given so much credit, you know, influencing so many other bands. I mean, Tom York and Radiohead have talked about how influential REM was, you know, he, he wrote a song, how to disappear completely based on, based on, yeah. Yeah. I'm not here. How do you deal with being on tour all the time and all the press and all the, you know, BS I'm not here. This isn't happening. Yeah. And it's interesting too, your pick, you know, Radio Free Europe, and maybe later on we'll actually get to, to where we do a whole pod on REM and we'll figure out what the, we should know, what the, yeah, what the, the format of that will be. But the difference, yeah. I, know, I know it's about a 10 year gap, right? From Radio Free Europe to mm-hmm. what's the frequency, Kenneth? Yeah, 83 to 94. Yeah. And the sound is completely different. I mean, those sound like, I mean, it sounds like two totally different bands if you're, you know, take away Michael Stipe's very distinct voice. So it's interesting to see the, the progression, the evolution of sound over, over that amount of time. Well, you would have loved it. 95 was uh, just fall of 95, September 95. I drove back to Nashville. I was a sophomore at UT. And Radiohead was opening up for REM at Starwood, the old Starwood Amphitheater yeah. in Nashville. And it was awesome. Even the rain was pouring down during REM set, but both of them played killer set. And I didn't know, you know, because like you said, Radiohead f- had fake plastic trees and creep at the time, but you didn't know how big Radiohead was going to go on to become. So what year was that then? 95. So that 95 tour on the Monster oh, Tour wow. for REM. Radiohead yeah. opened for him. I was like, <clears throat> now I look back, feel thankful to see that show. Yeah. So that was cool. That's awesome. Yeah, so one more band that we had in common and, it, you know, one of our, both, both of our favorite bands, you know, ever, maybe, our choice for Pearl Jam. So you went with Brain of Jay, which is a, a little bit later, I guess the middle of their catalog. What is that? Yeah. Fifth album? Yeah. So why'd you, why'd you pick that one? I was probably trying too hard, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> You gotta have one obscure pick. Because once, yeah, once or go or, or way, but your your pick is better. I'm already conceding the choice. I've already lost. If this is a battle, I've already lost. Well, but, it's not a competition. Jeff. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I was probably trying too hard, but I was trying to think something. When I think that that run of ten verses, Vitology, No Code Yield, love them all, but for some reason, I I, I kept going back to No Code and Yield during different phase of my life, rather. Um, than that and so this the brain of jay is a straight up rocker like once or go but this three minute rock blast that you open up it's definitive pearl jam eddie vetter's intensity after his one two three four one two three a quick count off and you get these power chords obviously mixed with mccree's lead guitar and, and ed screaming who's got the brain of jfk what's it mean to us now I'm like whoa okay and, <laughs> and a lot of times i feel like the whole they hold back in the studio but on, yeah. on this track, I didn't feel like he was holding back. Like, okay, he means business. Like, he wasn't just giving a seven out of 10 energy, so it's more energetic live or whatever. 
Matt Cam is driving drums. They don't play as much live as once or go, but the yeah. jumping, nodding heads along, and I like the, the hard-edged, which echoed 10 in verses. So I felt they were going back, and it matches, like you would rock, we'd rock out or be pogo sticking, as right? Hedge would say live, like just <laughs> jumping up and down. And when, when it back, that. and then when it goes to the next track, Faithful, it kind of calms down that first first verse, but then it hits you in the mouth at the end of the chorus once you get to it. So I like the way it's, like you said, just jumps right in like Star Wars would or anything else and just hits you in the mouth. You chose Go, which I, I, I defer to as a, the better choice. And at and, and Las Vegas 2003 show, it opened it, the show, yeah. and it, was, it blew Hedge into my mind too as an opener. It killed it. So what stands out about the verses opener for you? Well, Chester, I have to say, you're – your uh, talk on uh, Brain of Jay made me want to go listen to it right now again. Uh, and I, I think you're right. It is kind of a throwback to the first two albums. I kind of realized I'm just, I don't know if it's because the album is so great that I think the openers are just as great, or it really is the opener sets a tone for the whole album and it, and it follows through. I picked mostly the opening songs from tons of my favorite albums that I think are, are solid all the way through and goes another one. I, I think versus is my, if I had to pick one PJ album, it's versus and go uh, exemplifies the, you know, beyond just the, the quality of them as, as rock musicians. I mean, you have the heavy guitars and bass and drums and, and, you know, Vetter's voice, his very distinct vocals. Um, it's just so powerful and defiant and angry. Uh, and it's, it's just, it's kind of like a middle finger, you know, which the whole album is really, you know, and there's, there's some tracks on there that are acoustic, uh, obviously, you know, daughter and elderly woman and stuff like that. But it's, it, there's just so much raw energy and power in it, you know, and that, that song kicks it off, kicks it off right. Yeah, agreed. And I've, like I said, I've heard of open shows and I've heard of open encores too. So they, oh, they, they, they often use it as a, an opener of some kind just to rock, if they want to rock, they use it or even to close an encore set, not a whole show, but maybe like a first encore. I've heard them go to go porch review, some, yeah. so, something like that. But yeah, go, go is phenomenal. If listeners, they probably don't want to nerd out about PJ as much as I do, but <laughs> The Vegas 2003 version is good, but if you really want to laugh, go find the Boston September 16th, 1998 show at Great Woods Amphitheater. Ed goes into go, someone throws a quarter at him, and he goes into this cuss-laden rant. Do yourself a favor, and if you ever hear about it, like you haven't experienced it until you hear Boston night two, 1998, and go. I'm pretty sure you burned me that. Probably. Uh, yeah. That back in the day, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, he's, so and Chester, then he goes and he goes right back into go. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> That's the professionalism. Yeah, right? get right back into the song yeah. after the after the the expletive tirade. Uh, so one thing, just I notice, like Pearl Jam is awesome at openers, pretty consistently. REM. Uh, may, might be the the best. That's the uh, best because when I think and, of their singles and I saw the pattern, right. I'm like, wow, all these songs are solid. I, I had a hard time choosing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, are there other bands that you 
consistently are really great at opening tracks. Because hmm. I've got a couple of shout outs. Uh, if you can think about that while I, while I mentioned a couple of these. Yeah, go, go um, for it. So I love The Killers. Um, and I had a couple of theirs on tentative lists, but their first three albums, Jenny was a friend of mine and then Sam's town and then losing touch. The killers are awesome at opening tracks. Um, and then, well, Baldwin and I saw them at the, uh, at the Grand Ole Opry in what, cool. 2009, maybe eight or nine, one of the best set lists I've ever seen. Uh, and then a band that I will defend, and I have had to do that before, that most people <laughs> just assume that they were, they had a few radio hits in the 90s, and, you know, they were just a sort of a flash in the pan band. Third Eye Blind, I think, is one of the most critically underrated bands. Uh, and they have, I mean, they have really great albums. In fact, I would say most of their hits are their worst songs. Uh, their opening songs, Losing a Whole Year, then their second album, Anything, their third album, Faster, and they're all hit you in the face rock songs to start those albums. And usually the albums kind of chill a little bit towards the end. Um, but they're really good at openers consistently. So just a couple of shout outs there. Love it. Their first album, I wore it out in college, like all the yeah. way through. Mm -hmm. Third Eye Blind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, any so any good listeners opening? Hmm. I'm trying to look. I haven't put Wilco on the list. I mean, some of the bands we've already named. Death Cap for sure. I haven't mentioned them. I know you mentioned the New Year, but yeah. To our, our last podcast, I'd go a title track. Once it, I, I like a couple of their openers that grab me. I like the Flaming Lips, which I haven't mentioned. We talked about a yeah, little bit today. Great, Race for the prize and fight tests. So give me those all day long. And those yeah. are great live too, but they hit you right in the mouth. Um, so love all those. Don't know about say every Flame Ellipse opener, but those two albums for sure, 99 that love those openers. Yeah. All right. Uh, songs that we miss maybe on our list. We don't explain like songs that you think still rock as openers that we didn't have a chance to talk about. Yeah, just, just to list a few. Um... Pink Floyd from the wall in the flesh. Again, not, not like a hit, but it establishes that guitar riff and that, that's a recurring theme through the whole thing. Uh, that's an awesome opener. The most recent song that I considered um, Smoke Signals by Phoebe Bridgers, hmm. the first track on her album, Stranger in the Alps. It is such a beautiful, like indie folk song. It is, it's, perfectly written it's so lyrically her voice it's it's really captivating son of sam by elliot smith on figure eight fantastic Love opener Love all figure eight but yeah yeah um another band that's really good that openers um counting crows i've got catapult from their second album recovering the satellites which is oh, awesome. great and then the the last one that is actually an opener that I think is kind of an anomaly uh, is Bright Eyes at the bottom of everything on I'm Wide Awake It's Morning. I mean, that album is phenomenal and that's a great opening track. It opens with this like two minute story. You know, he's talking spoken about- Spoken word. Yeah, spoken, spoken word. word. Bright Eyes, I tend not to like their opening tracks because they have these long 
sort of whether it's muffled instrumental and whispering and spoken word stuff in there and it just it, I'm, i just want them to get to the music mm-hmm. so a lot of their openers I, I skip over but you can't skip over that one that's a fantastic song no, so. i love it and maybe we should even look at that album in the future that's a great great album yeah oh and a shout out to i think we mentioned neil young earlier maybe but cinnamon girl what a great opener that one is yeah it's, it's yeah. probably better than neil young i picked looking back on it, i was at um I'd go Cinema Girl. I picked out on the weekend for Neil Young, but um, I'd go with Cinema Girl now looking back on it. Uh, Counting Crows. What you got? Yeah, Counting Crows, Round Here, though, for first yeah. time. Probably because I wore August and everything else out after oh, I uh, in high school. I, I, just, I did The whole too. album, right? That was the first album I ever bought with my own money was August and Sweet. everything after. And yeah, wore it out. It's a great it's album. It's a good, good one. So around here, the narrative and the way Adam Dirt's lyrics and imagery, uh, it's hard to beat. Uh, when I mentioned that, uh, The Cure, probably go with them. Uh, I know they were talking about Law of Clues this week, and I go with In Between Days. I mean, I have a couple albums I listen to a lot in middle school. Um, Weezer, maybe not necessarily because of the song, but the Blue album itself. So my name is Jonas. Wore that out too. Just That's to awesome. That is an awesome opener. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't think of that one. Sorry. Um, so love that. No, it's good. great. Um, and then I went with the either either or or figure eight. Both Ellie Smith, I love Son of Sam. It's hard to beat. I went Speed Trials. Uh, some Ellie Smith. It was hard for me to choose. Yeah, and I don't remember who published the list first. Maybe I was just trying to be different. I, I don't. I don't remember what happened. <laughs> um, but but I uh, love that. I try to pick some of the M words, but. Notice some M Ward uses instrumental, kind of like you're talking about. They're hard to pick. Same with Joseph yeah. Arthur. There's like this one gr- song, great song, Joseph Arthur. I think it's called In Ohio, but it's 45 seconds. So it's like, oh man, it's yeah. like right, right when he gets started, and then he, it goes on the next track. Um, Poison Cup by M Ward is what I went with. Went with Myth. Obviously, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Beach House yeah. on the list. But then I went with uh, Velvet Underground Sunday Morning. I like to play that on guitar and uh, get Nico on the album. Uh, it's not my favorite Velvet Underground album. Uh, self-titled is, but uh, I like that opener. Nice. You know, Velvet Underground is another one I need to go back and revisit that I didn't. I kind of just didn't dig them the first time I listened to them and probably... That was me in college. I didn't, I didn't quite like why well, I would hit and miss. There's love and hate with them. And then uh, maybe somewhere about 98 or 99, just into college after started getting into more. I like yeah. Lou Reed. Yeah. All right. Any patterns that we, we noticed and did they fall in line? How you chose like your film analogy at the beginning. We kind of talked about it before, but any, any patterns that we haven't mentioned? Well, and again, partly because I've just picked so many of my favorites. I picked a lot of songs that are rock songs right up front, really. Um, I mean, there's a few in there, like The National, and I mentioned Wilco as that kind of soft cinematic opening. But most of mine are kind of the the more action, uh, just like hit the ground running. Kind of, you know, or you're, yeah. Um, Mine too, which was weird because then I've probably been seeing Pearl Jam too much. And I like when live, at least, 
like I like when bands will go at least one slow song, ease you into the show, and then then hit you in the mouth second song. I mean, I like it first song too, but at least you get ease into the show. So weirdly enough, live I think I like that, but album yeah, I, I want to be hit in the face first. So studio versus live. That's interesting too, because when I I feel like live, I want something that hits me in the face right yeah. away. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. I it depends on the band and the mood and a lot of stuff there but um so is there anything else that you noticed just as you were thinking this through compiling the list that uh prompted any reflection or just your thoughts on yeah. doing the album opener hey I would, cha- I would challenge our listeners to go do the list it's not as easy as you think especially when you only have one opener per artist and then you start looking through and you like you we have to make personal connection our own biases are, are going to come into play and what it meant to us at the time um but i noticed rem was pretty difficult pearl jam was really difficult bands that i have pretty much their whole discography or, or collection is really hard and then others were eh, easier e- easier to choose um like the nirvana song was easier to choose just because they're so huge I love In Utero, but the whole album, Nirvana. So it, it, it runs a gamut, but I realized that, like you said, you could have 50 songs or more. So it's, it's so extensive if you try to make your own list and then compare it to what other people create. What about you when you reflect upon the openers? Yeah, just kind of um, sort of mapping my evolution as a fan of of music and what stuff I gravitated toward at what times in my life you know I mean until today I hadn't quite realized that transition like what I was listening to before I got into Death Cab and kind of why that how that played out that way yeah and and because it is so so personal and a lot of the stuff was at least relatively new at the time I didn't think too much about older songs you know i mean I, I mentioned that pink floyd but there's a lot of there's a lot of older music from the 60s that i love that just didn't even really come up you know whether it's led zeppelin or bob dylan or elton john or whoever you know yeah bob like. bob dylan i looked at a couple of his and then even beatles tried to look there's just so much right like how do you choose yeah well man i'd actually say i was surprised that i wasn't a huge fan of a lot of Beatles opening tracks. Me, well, their, when I looked through it, that's how I didn't yeah, compared put any to the, the rest list. of their albums. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's next? I think we're going to look at another album next week. So listeners can be prepared for another album. So we'll return to another album breakdown. We hope we enjoyed the, the best openers today. Uh, Keith Lee had a great idea and there's so much more we could talk about, but. Yeah. Well, we'll, um, yeah. Listeners look for some more themed podcasts like this whether it's certain kind of songs or tracks or associations you know things we can make playlists of and and kind of go back and forth on that yeah so cool so thanks uh for hanging out and uh catching up just talking music and uh thanks listeners if you stuck with us this long thanks for hanging out on the flip side with us see you on the flip side peace